Hi, this is Trey at the Reformed and Reforming Podcast, and I'm here again with Pastor Mark O'Neill. And we're in our second episode on our series on the Christian Sabbath. If you'll remember last episode, we made a positive case from the Old Testament on why we believe that the New Testament Christian is still obliged to celebrate the the Sabbath. And and also, we gave a a short lesson on hermeneutics, which is uh, how do you interpret the Bible? How do you read it? Um, How do you make sense of it? And so in this episode, uh, we're going to be covering a positive case from the New Testament. Um, and so we think already from what we've shown in the Old Testament, since we've tied the, the, the practice of the Sabbath to the moral law, we still think, we think that this alone would give us a positive warrant to continue to practice if the New Testament were to be silent uh, on the Sabbath. However, we think that there is great evidence even in the New Testament for the practice. And uh, Pastor Mark O'Neill is going to give us um, the evidence for that. So, Mark, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, there are a number of places that I think uh, support the view that the uh, that the Sabbath principle is still something that we are to observe as New Testament Christians. But I think the uh, by far the strongest support comes from uh, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four, three and four, but particularly chapter four uh, to be specific. So if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. So in Hebrews 4, the writer of the Hebrews, who is not Paul, by the way, uh, more than likely, it's uh, probably someone other than Paul. Uh, uh, Apollos is a good guess for the author there. But uh, at any rate, the the obviously the ultimate author is the Holy Spirit. And uh, there in Hebrews 4, verse 9, we see... A word uh, that's very unique. It's unique uh, in the English. It's particularly unique in the Greek. So if you look with me there, we read in Hebrews 4, 9, There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest or a Sabbath observance, or you could translate it also a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. Now, those who are non-Sabbatarian, who look at this verse, or want to say something to the effect that, well, we have, the way we as Christians rest, uh, celebrate the Sabbath, is we rest in Christ. It's a spiritual resting, in other words, uh, that we undergo. And so we're continually resting in Christ, which of course we are. We are to uh, uh, have our uh, sense of spiritual well-being uh, through faith in him uh, and that alone. We are supposed to rest in Christ. That's what it means to to believe in the Lord Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And they're right about that, that uh, the Sabbath, the Old Testament Sabbath, pointed to the, first and foremost, to the cross work of Christ, which accomplished rest for all believers who trust in him Rest from the condemnation of God's law, which would otherwise land us in hell for eternity, um, that would accomplish a rest or a peace between us and God, bringing about reconciliation, points to the reconciliation that we have with God, and that we now are free from, as I said, the condemnation of the law, and free to serve God uh, in accordance with his 
will for us. We, we are no longer slaves to sin. We can choose to be obedient. We can choose to love the Lord. Let, let me interrupt you right quick, Mark. Okay. You said that the, the Sabbath pointed to Christ. Um, the Old Testament said. Yeah, yeah. You said the Old Testament pointed to Christ. Right. So tell me if, if you can, because I know that there was a, a when I was being introduced to Reformed theology, okay. I did not understand what uh, this idea of pointing to or types and shadows meant. Mm-hmm. So if you can, uh, give, give kind of a, an idea to our listeners of what that what you mean by the Sabbath pointed to Christ. Okay. The, the entire... The, the entire, almost the, virtually the entire Old Testament, but particularly the Old Testament period from the creation of the nation of Israel onward, with all that Israel was required to do, all the laws that were given uh, regarding sacrifices, regarding worship, regarding uh, the uh, kingship, regarding the prophets, the priests, the temple, the ta- or the tabernacle first, the, tab- uh, the temple later, all those different things, the, um, the the whole Old Testament basically was pointing forward to and preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. And the writer of the Hebrews, actually, uh, uh, Paul does this as well, and so do the other Old Testament writers, but the writer of the Hebrews actually refers to these Old Testament phenomena as types and shadows, so types of Christ, or um, the, 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 the study is called typology, of studying types in the Old Testament that pointed forward to things that were going to come about in the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Old Testament, um, the laws, the Old Testament uh, worship, the Old Testament offices that were found in Israel, the prophet, the priest, and the king, all these things foreshadowed, and that's where the writer, he uses the word shadows, they foreshadowed the coming of Christ hundreds and even thousands of years before Christ came. And they were designed to be instructive, to teach people. In the Old Testament period, there is a Messiah who was promised back in Genesis 3.15 as the seed of the woman, and repeatedly reference to him, allusions to him, were made throughout the patriarchal period, and then they got more and more frequent as time went on, uh, and become um, um, very frequent in, for example, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah. All those Old Testament phenomena, so the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the uh, purity laws, the dietary laws, the, the office of the prophet, the office of the priest, the high priest, the, and the Levitical priest, the office of the king. All those were required offices that God instructed, including, by the way, kingship. We, we sometimes think that, uh, they, the Israelites just kind of fell into kingship because they were, they were foolish and wanted a king like the nations. Uh, the truth is, God wanted them to have a king. If you go back to Deuteronomy 18, 18? Maybe it's not 18. Uh, Deuteronomy in the teens. 17, I think it is. It, uh, he, God gives instructions before they enter the land about what their king is supposed to, how he's supposed to live, what he's supposed to do, how he is supposed to have a copy of the scriptures, uh, and he's supposed to read those scriptures and govern in accordance with those scriptures. And so anyway, my point is, is all those different things going on in the Old Testament pointed forward or were types of or foreshadowed the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole Old Testament's about Christ. 
And that includes the Sabbath, the Old Testament Sabbath, um, uh, the, the Sabbath principle. It points forward to the rest that he would accomplish for those of us for whom he died, his people, down through the ages. And it would be a spiritual rest uh, that would begin in this life, but wouldn't wouldn't be culminated in this life. It will be culminated in the uh, eternal state in heaven. So this is this is the already not yet distinction. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Can, can can give give us a short summary of what what the already not yet is. All right. So an example of already not yet would be sanctification, uh, uh, holiness, which is uh, to be sanctified is to be made holy. So we have been made new creatures in Christ uh, upon receiving the Lord as our Savior and Lord by faith alone. The uh, we are born again. The Holy Spirit is now indwelling us. He is holy. He begins the process the moment we are born again of making us holy during this life, increasingly holy. And so we are enabled more and more to die unto sin, as the Shorter Catechism puts it, and live unto righteousness increasingly over time. There is a there is a upward trajectory of godliness. Uh, not that there aren't fits and starts and uh, two steps forward, you know, three steps forward, two steps back at times. But the point is, there's a there's a a growing holiness in the Christian's life. But there is never perfection. Anybody who tells you otherwise is lying to you, and you need to run from them, especially if they're a minister. Uh, but my point is, is that uh, holiness is a is a process that is ongoing in this life. So we are already holy in the sight of God because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus, and we are increasingly experientially being made holy, but we have not yet been made perfectly holy. So the already is we're being made holy. The not yet is we haven't arrived at perfect holiness, sinlessness, which will only happen when we get to heaven. Okay, and so you're saying that there is uh, an already not yet type of a principle that applies to the Sabbath, right? Correct. Okay. Right. So, so we are already resting in Christ. Uh, we have peace with God be, through Christ. We are no longer under the condemnation of God's law or the covenant of works. We are we are um, at peace with God. We've been reconciled, but. There is a greater, so there's a spiritual resting that we already enjoy as Christians daily, every day of the week, throughout our lives. But we haven't arrived at the fullness of rest, the full rest from the, from the tyranny of our sins. Yes, we are growing in holiness, but, but our sins still plague us. The curse, living in a sin-cursed world, we are still under that curse and affected by that curse. And so there is trouble in our lives. But when we reach heaven, it all goes away. It all goes away. No more dark, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death, no more crying. It all is gone. It's perfect rest. But we have not arrived there yet. So there's a fuller rest that the Sabbath principle points us to. We enjoy already and celebrate the rest that we now have, but there's still more rest to come, which is one of the reasons why the Sabbath hasn't gone away. Okay, so there's some practical, very practical and important reasons why uh, we should, as New Testament Christians, New Covenant Christians, I should say, practice the Sabbath. Apart from the fact that I think it is still an a, a obligatory command that we have, like any command, uh, there are lots of commands found in the New Testament for New Testament Christians that we have to obey. But, but, but here's just a practical thing. We, we 
first of all, we need to sell, we need to sell, uh, set aside a day, uh, in order to rest from our labors physically. We are, we are not, we are made of spirit and body. And both our body and our spirit both need, uh, rest to re- re- rejuvenate. And it's not just the body, by the way, that needs rest. The spirit needs rest, too. And by resting, I'm not talking about doing nothing. I'm talking about a, an act of resting in Christ when I refer to the, uh, the resting that our spirits do. But the body, also, we need to rest. We are not um, energizer bunnies that perpetually go on and on and on and on, don't, don't have to stop and, and have downtime. We need downtime. And so this, I think this relates well back to what we had talked about in Genesis, where God rested on the seventh day. He took a Sabbath, not because he was tired or fatigued, but that was part of imaging, uh, part of the, part of Adam's job of imaging God included resting. And God setting an example for him to, exactly. to be yeah, imaged. Yeah. And, uh, if Adam needed rest before the fall, how much more do we fallen, though redeemed, but fallen creatures, how much more do we need rest? Exactly so. Exactly so. And, and we, we, we need to, we need to, 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 Get away from all the hubbub of life and spend time contemplating, first of all, the rest we already enjoy in Christ and contemplate the beauty of our Savior and the beauty of what he has done for us and his enormous love for us and kindness shown to us. We need to think on Jesus and, and, and God the Father who, who sent the Lord Jesus and God the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and applies to us the redemption that Christ himself purchased. We need to, we need time to think on those things. Sunday by, by, and this is the good thing about God forbidding unnecessary work is God is saying, you, you can't do these other things. I don't want you to do the things that you normally do in the other six days of the week. I want you to spend time with me. And we need that. Our spirits need that. We need to be spiritually refreshed to, to regain our, um, our uh, spiritual, um, whatever you want to call it, energies. And we do that by spending time with God, seeking God, spend time with God's people on a day when we don't have to think about what's going on at the office or don't have to think about what's going on at school or what have you. We just go, okay, I, I, I can do those. I can think about that tomorrow. Today is for the Lord. And, and so we we focus on the rest we already enjoy and we focus on what we don't yet have, but look forward to with anticipation. That is the greater rest that will one day be ours. And it's guaranteed to us in Christ as Christians, but we don't yet possess, which is the rest of heaven. And so, so the Sabbath allows us to do that. It points us to what we have, the already, but it also points us to what we don't yet have, but will have the not yet. No, I think this is a great point that you're making because I know that I, and I think that a lot of Christians today, I think, um, they look at the law only from the, from the standpoint of a person who is not justified. And the law, or the commands of God from a per, for a person who is not justified is a terror. It is. It is a condemning and it's a damning thing. And it needs to be. They mm. need to realize Indeed that it, it is. Yeah. But for a born-again... Sorry about that, technical difficulties. But I was talking about uh, how I think most Christians, and it used to be me as well to a degree, I think that a lot of people view the law 
as uh, a regenerate person, as a born-again believer, they view the law as something bad, as something to be scared of. And that's not true. For the not for the unregenerate person, for the person who is not resting in Christ, the law is a terror because it's a curse to them. But for the born-again person, they can view the law as a guide to life, as a guide to be like Christ. It's um, something we're to love. Yes, absolutely. Psalm 119.97, uh, actually. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord, uh, the law of the Lord. And, and in the book of First John, his commandments are not burdensome right. to us. They're a blessing because they, they make a, they, God uses the law uh, to make us like Christ. And the Sabbath is part of that. It's a blessing to uh, true believers. Um, so that's just kind of a, a foretaste. Uh, that's you know that's practical, uh, which is good. Um, all of theology will ultimately be practical, um, but we're going to cover that later in another episode. So I want us to get back to our our positive case from the New Testament. So Mark, you had said you were going to cover further in Hebrews four, and we've kind of sidetracked from that. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to that and go ahead and take away with Hebrews four. Okay. So so in uh, uh, Hebrews four nine, Paul uses a word. He says. Uh, there remains, therefore, he, he, okay, let me, let me, let me back up. He started making an argument back in chapter three. Um, and what he was talking about, without going into a whole lot of detail, he was talking about, um, the connection between the seventh day creation, seventh day of creation week, the, the day when God rested. And he's connecting that seventh day of creation week with the the sabbath and he's talking about um entering into the rest that was promised in that sabbath rest that god uh observed back in the creation week and so he's going along and he he starts in uh chapter three around uh verse uh seven i think it is and he starts making this case and anyway he ends up Essentially, his conclusion comes in chapter 4, verse 9, and that's the verse that I just read to you. Now, and I'm not going to bore you with Greek here, but there is some value to at least mentioning some Greek terms. So he says, there remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest or a Sabbath observance or a Sabbath keeping. Those are probably actually better translations or uh, of, the, of the original sabbatismos, which is the Greek word, for the people of God. For the New Testament people of God, as well as the Old Testament, of course, but it's New Testament age. Well, people have said, non-Sabbatarians have said, well, that, that, that's right. We rest in Christ. That's all it is. We're just resting in Christ. It's a spiritual rest. We enjoy it. We enjoy it every day of the week. It's not just Sunday, blah, blah, blah. Here's the problem with that argument, and it is highly problematic. So, when when uh, the writer of the Hebrews wrote verse 9 of Hebrews 4, that word sabbatismos, as far as we know, did not exist prior to his writing it in in uh, this sermon. It was actually originally a sermon. He created a term out of, no- uh, out of nothing. It's sort of like in modern day uh, parlance, you know, there was a company that named named Google. It pioneered an industry, and pretty soon we came up with the, with the verb "googled." I googled it, derived from the the name of the company, Google. Well, people, somebody somebody created that term somewhere along the line, and pretty soon everybody borrowed it and used it, and it became a uh, common word. I googled it. Well, the writer of the Hebrews 
He created a term that didn't exist as far as we know prior to this point in time. And what he did was he borrowed the Greek word, uh, which is uh, sabaton. Now that word, sabaton, means Sabbath. And it comes from the uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures that was written about 200 years before, roughly 200 years before Jesus was born. And the, the Septuagint was the Bible that Jews who were dispersed in the, around the Roman world and prior to that the Greek speaking world, it's the Bible that most of them were familiar with and used. They, most of them didn't speak Hebrew. They were, they were not, they weren't familiar with the original Hebrew anymore. They were, they were, they were Greek speakers. And so they needed a Greek speaking uh, Bible, and that's what the Septuagint provided for them. Okay, so for for our more astute listeners, um, normally when we have a, a non-original language translation of the Bible, be it Old Testament or New Testament, we don't give it as much weight as we would an original text. So, I mean, the author of Hebrews was obviously writing in Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and mm-hmm. some Aramaic. There were 70 original authors, by the way, of the Septuagint, which is where the word we, we get so, the word sept, which is the word seven and so on. So, so why give <clears throat> weight to the, the Septuagint, to this Greek translation of the Old Testament? Why should we give weight to it? Well, because the writers of the New Testament used oftentimes, probably more often than not, I'm not sure of that actually, I've, I've not actually, you know, surveyed the whole New Testament and the quotings of quotations from the Old Testament. But suffice it to say, they used the Septuagint a lot when they were quoting from the Old Testament. And the writer of the Hebrews, in particular, wrote, uh, uh, quoted from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, original Old Testament Hebrew scriptures. And he quoted from it. So whenever, and remember, who's the ultimate author of scripture? Holy it's the Holy Spirit. Spirit exactly. So, so the Holy Spirit authored this. So whenever the Holy Spirit, through the human writer, chose to use the Septuagint translation rather than the Hebrew translation. Okay, sorry, we had a little technical error there. But uh, getting to the point, back to the point I was making, is when the writer of the Hebrews, who is ultimately the Holy Spirit, uses the Septuagint, or whatever he uses, the Septuagint or the original Hebrew, and, and quotes from it, that's the end of the conversation because God has that. That means that text is inspired. That Hebrew, that particular portion of the Septuagint, is inspired. If God co-opted it by having the New Testament writers that He inspired quote it, it's divinely inspired and it's reliable. And it's reliable. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. So anyway, get, get back to the point. So, so the writer of the Hebrews is taking a word from the Septuagint, um, Sabbaton, which means Sabbath, and it's translated from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which was what, what the original Old Testament was written in, Hebrew and, and some Aramaic, but largely Hebrew. And Shabbat was the word for, for Sabbath. Well, Sabbaton is the translation of the word Shabbat, the Hebrew word Shabbat. And the writer of the Hebrews takes this word, Shabbat, and he turns it into another noun, means Sabbath-keeping. So what he did was, 
By using the word sabaton as the base of the word sabatismos, he borrowed all, uh, all the connotations of Shabbat, of, of Sabbath keeping in the Old Testament, and he imported it at this point in time in his argument. Now, let me tell you why that's so significant. Because he has prior, starting in verse uh, 11, uh, actually, I think it's uh, verse 7 of Hebrews 3, like I say, he's making a case here, he's making an argument, and he has been using the word rest uh, throughout this. So in Hebrews 3.11, in Hebrews 3.18, in Hebrews 3.1, oh, excuse me, Hebrews 4.1, Hebrews 4.3 twice, Hebrews 5 once. In other words, at least six times in a very short period of time, he's used the word rest. And if and if the writer of Hebrews wanted to communicate in verse 9 of Hebrews 4, if he wanted to communicate that New Testament Christians are spiritually resting in what Jesus did for them and that alone, then what he should have done was use the word that he's been using at least six times already in his argument starting back in chapter 3, and he uses it two more times after verse 9 in verses 11 and, uh, excuse me, 10 and 11 of uh, chapter 4, which, and the word is katapausis. And so he's been using the word katapausis all the way along, and if he wanted to just merely communicate you're spiritually resting in Jesus, in verse 9 of chapter 4, he should have said, there remains therefore a katapausis, for the people of God. And okay. So if I can interject right quick. You just um, did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it sounds going back to you Google uh, to your Google uh, comparison. Yes. Um, if I had said to a person, do an internet search for this. Do an internet search for this. Do an internet search for this. And I had repeated it half a dozen times, it would have a particular meaning. It'd probably be a more vague meaning. But if a little later I said specifically, do a Google search for this, I would be having a very particular meaning when I said that, wouldn't you would. I? And so I think it sounds like you're saying that catapausis is, if you will, the kind of the generic do an internet search for this. Right. Whereas you said sabatismos? Sabatismos. That has a very particular meaning it and does. it has a lot of weight and a lot of freight that is given to us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the Septuagint. Right, and here's the thing. If if the non-Sabbatarians are right, okay, let's just say, and they're not, <laughs> but if they're right, um, <laughs> and they're saying they, they, they would, that, that, that the rest that is described in 4.9, Hebrews 4.9, is merely spiritual resting in Jesus that we do seven days out of the week and that's all 4-9 is saying then the writer of the Hebrews made a colossal error by creating a term that didn't exist as far as we know out of the word sabaton which conjures up all of the Old Testament Shabbat all of the all of the Old Testament understanding of what it means to to keep Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath, the fourth commandment. And he imported that 
into his argument here in chapter 4 of Hebrews and totally muddied the waters by doing that. It was, it was a colossal error. If he had just kept using the word uh, catapausis, which he had used six times already and was going to use two more times before he's through with his argument, he wouldn't have, he would, it, wouldn't made, it wouldn't have muddied the waters. And yet he did. And more than just using a term, he created a term. Hmm. And, and so... And I wonder why. Well, and... Did you uh, get my point? Yeah, no, 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 no. You, this, is, this makes a lot of sense. And so this book is Hebrews. It's a New Testament book. Written to Jewish Christians. Written to Jewish Christians, but they're New Covenant members. Right. They believe in Jesus as the promised Correct. Messiah. Jesus has died. Uh, he, he's rose been on the cross. Again. He's rose again. He's right. ascended... The, the new covenant years age after the is, resurrection. Yes. Um, and he says there remains a Sabbath. Sabbath time, observing. The Shabbat. Uh, that's right. And, and so. That's what he is saying. There so remains this is, the Shabbat for the people of God. And so this is an example of an Old Testament commandment that's part of the moral law mm-hmm. being repeated in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And we think this makes perfect sense. Because God, the moral law, is based off of God's nature and character. Mm-hmm. and Summarized in the Ten. So Yes, summarized in the Ten Commandments. All Ten. And the moral law can only change if God's nature and character changes. Which, of course, is impossible. Correct, because there's, there's no... He couldn't get any better, uh, so there's no reason for change. So uh, I think this is a, a very strong case. Okay, so that was good. Um, and this is going to be the end of our episode uh, on a positive case for the abiding validity of the Sabbath for the New Covenant Christian. In the next episode, we are going to handle common objections uh, to the to the abiding validity and the practice of the Sabbath for the New Covenant Christian. So I hope you will join us then. Thank you.